group did you belong to? To the more motivated. <laughs> oh, that's surprising. <laughs> I was driven from a young age. <laughs> Hi, this is the Driven Lab, hosted by Chiara, Giampiero, and Christina. Driven stands for Danish Center for Motivation and Behavior Science. The center is based at the University of Southern Denmark in Udense, Denmark and represent a multidisciplinary effort, the first in the Scandinavian context. We deliver cutting-edge research, education, and consultancy on factors that support sustained behavior change in various contexts, such as health, education, environment, and workplace. So today we're here to introduce the directors of DRIVEN, the professors Nikos Dumanis and Cecilia Thurson-Dumani, two internationally well-established researchers in the fields of motivational science and health psychology. Welcome. How are you today? Thank you. Very good. How are you? Hmm. Nice, nice. Not too bad, not too bad. It's a nice day today. Yeah. Yeah. So, can you introduce yourself a little bit for those of you who don't know Driven and who don't know you? Yes, so um, I'm Professor Cecilia Thurson Dumani. um, And uh, as was said before, I'm the co-director of of Driven. Um, I have a kind of an international background. Currently, uh, Driven is uh, set up in Denmark, um, and I'm Danish originally, but uh, I've lived many years in the UK and uh, did my degree in the UK, or degrees, and uh, worked there for 18 years, and then I went to Australia for seven years, uh, where we also had another research group, um, and then subsequently came here to Denmark two and a half years ago. Uh, hello, so I'm uh, Nikos Dumanis. I'm a professor of uh, motivation science here at SDU. I'm a primarily a affi- primary affiliation is with the Department of Sports Science and Clinical Biomechanics. I'm also an affiliated professor with the Department of uh, Psychology. I'm Greek, and uh, in terms of my background, I did uh, my postgraduate education uh, in uh, the UK. My first degree was uh, in Greece. I uh, got my PhD from the University of Exeter, and uh, my career spans uh, across three countries, UK primarily, University of Birmingham, and then with Cecilia in uh, Perth, at Curtin University, Department of Psychology, and now in uh, SDU. Okay, and what are your current roles in, uh, in the Driven Centre? We both uh, direct the center and uh, we try to establish uh, new initiatives that will uh, grow the center in terms of uh, research, but also eventually uh, through educational opportunities and consultancy opportunities. Okay, okay. And how is it going so far? It's going pretty well. Um, We only uh, established it uh, in 2023 officially. And uh, we actually have initiated quite a lot of different initiatives, uh, interdisciplinary initiatives, both with uh, other people and other faculties, for example, at SDU, but also internationally. And we've been quite lucky to uh, also get some external grant capture to uh, to drive a very exciting interdisciplinary research projects. Um, so, yeah, we're pretty pleased. We have fantastic uh, PhD students and postdocs as well, of course, not least. Yeah, and in terms of uh, teaching, we teach on the master's program here at SDU on, uh, regarding behavioral science, and we'll develop in our own 
uh, module, which will start uh, next year, focusing primarily on the psychology of physical activity and health. Yeah, so it's going well. Still um, early days, but uh, it's going well. So since Driven, of course, is also about motivation, what motivated you to pursue a career in this area? Oh, I've always found uh, behavior interesting because it's, it's, I guess it's at the core of nearly everything, um, all kinds of behaviors. Uh, originally, I was interested, of course, I did a, a also a sports science degree at the University of Exeter, and then for my PhD, um, and due to my the advice I had there, uh, who was more interested in kind of the, the, the public health angle, I did a PhD in exercise and health sciences. Uh, and of course, within the health sciences uh, as well, behavior is absolutely key uh, to understanding uh, yeah, what drives behavior, what are the psychological factors that drive behavior, uh, the complexity Understanding people. I mean, I've always been interested in people generally, and uh, and of course, behavior is a huge part of that. Yeah, I've I've been asked this question before in another podcast, and uh, I thought about it, and uh, I guess my initial inspiration came from my school days, when I observed a lot of variation in uh, student motivation within the class. Uh, so there were some kids who were naturally more motivated to uh, do the homework and uh, try to do well at school. And there were some other kids in uh, my class who were not motivated at all. <laughs> uh, so I was interested to understand the mechanisms of motivation in terms of uh, school achievement. And then I started playing a little bit of basketball and uh, I was interested in sport and I saw that I was reading about uh, careers of athletes who found it difficult to give up sport and uh, others who were uh, transitioned to retirement uh, much in a much uh, smoother way. And uh, when I went to university, I started becoming interested in the physical activity and health for all movement. And uh, I became aware of the statistics showing the high levels of uh, physical inactivity so I started researching uh, the, this area, trying to find out uh, what motivates people to be more active and why it's difficult to get off the couch uh, <laughs> a significant uh, amount of the population. Yeah. So when, when you noticed in your school that there was a group that was more motivated and a group that was less motivated, which group did you belong to? To the more motivated. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's surprising. <laughs> I was driven from a young age. <laughs> And I guess I mean also just adding to that uh, this idea that why do some people why are they good at sustaining behavior change and why mm. can't people sustain it? So you know they might adopt it, but they they find it really, they really struggle to uh, to sustain it. That's another interesting uh, concept, I think. Yeah. And do you think that uh, the the aspects that motivated you when you were in school are the same aspects that are motivating you in your professional career? Yes, yeah, to a large extent they are. So curiosity is a big thing. Uh, learning new stuff, uh, that, uh, these two motivate me a lot. And uh, of course the sense of uh, competence and achievement uh, is very important. So yeah, it's more or less the same things. Okay. <laughs> I, I think for me, uh, I think I was a very different student to, to Nikos actually. <laughs> Not that I wasn't driven at all, but I think my primary goal was to feel a sense of affiliation with uh, 
with other kids in the school, which is in itself an interesting thing. And, uh, you know, I did as well as as I could. I did pretty well, but I wasn't probably as driven as Nikos. And uh, once I finished school, actually, I was I was I didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, and uh, realized that I needed to do something different to find out who I was. So I did lots of jobs, some good and some definitely not very good, which really motivated me to then wanting to learn and see what a luxury it would be to just read and write. And so my journey was a bit different. Mm. Okay, interesting. So you said that um, Driven was established in 2022, right? And why was that established? What was the reason of creating this uh, this uh, center for motivation and behavior science? I mean, we've uh, we worked in this space in terms of behavioral science for years, and um, we came to Denmark um, and realized there was very little focus on on behavioral science, um, and uh, had collaborated with other centers of, of behavior science uh, across the world, and saw that there was a very important, unique opportunity to set up something something here in Denmark. And again, going back to this point that a lot of the societal challenges that we face, uh, things like uh, climate change, uh, uh, sort of pandemic of um, uh, non-communicable diseases, an increased aging population, those types of things that are the sort of the core of what the challenges we face are, behavior is, is at the core. And um, and also the fact that obviously we need interdisciplinary approaches to, to address those. And STU was also a good place with lots of different uh, researchers across a variety of different um, um, disciplines. And so we thought it was a good opportunity to, to set it up here. Yeah, it was. Uh, I guess it was a non-brainer, a no-brainer, uh, because uh, uh, of the reasons that Cecilia mentioned earlier. They we saw an, an obvious gap and lots of opportunities, and uh, we tried to provide a home for researchers uh, who are interested in behavior change across different life domains to come together and exchange ideas and put together some proposals for projects that will try to change behavior of individuals and communities. Mm. So you already mentioned that uh, Driven is like interdisciplinary. Um, so who are the members of Driven? Well, we have a core group, uh, which is um, four, four of us. And so two more colleagues, uh, in addition to Cecilia and me, and uh, the PhDs and uh, postdocs. And uh, we have uh, a larger group of affiliated members from different departments across uh, SDU, all interested in uh, behavior science. And they come from the fields of uh, health, health promotion, health economics, engineering, uh, business. Uh, yeah, it's quite diverse. Mm. Okay, so you, you cover a, a wide range of activities within driven and you also now mentioned like behavioral behavioral science so for, for those who are unfamiliar with that w- how would you define that what is behavioral science behavioral science is a, a science of uh, is a scientific field that tries to understand a behavior of humans and uh, of course you can study human behavior from a lot of different perspectives and we focus 
mainly on uh, insights from uh, psychology and uh, behavioral economics. Mm. Okay. So we try to understand uh, how we can uh, help individuals to change their behaviors, as well as not just individuals, but groups as well, to change their behaviors in ways that will help, help them to accomplish uh, their goals. Mm. And of course, motivation is like a huge part in this uh, in this process. Yeah, for sure. So motivation is is a key determinant. It's not the only determinant of sustained behavior change, but uh, motivation is a key determinant. And uh, we try to apply our knowledge of motivational theories uh, to design interventions that uh, support uh, behavior change and behavioral uh, maintenance. Mm. And why is behavioral science important? Well, I think it's a, it's a fact that, uh, I think I mentioned it earlier, but it's uh, behavior and changing behavior is at the core of l- most of society, the societal cha- uh, challenges we face. So uh, an obvious one we can think about, uh, COVID pandemic, mm. you know, we're reliant on people, individual people, but also politicians and so on to, to actually change their behavior. Um Health, uh, other broad, more broadly, health. Uh, we are reliant on people being able to change their lifestyles uh, and go to screenings, for example, that they need to be uh, doing in order to protect their health. Um, climate change is another big one. We also reliant on people kind of doing the right thing in terms of whether it's recycling or. Um, uh, less uh, eating less meat, for example. Uh, so essentially, um, behavior is really at the core of that. If we don't change people's behavior, we're not going to accomplish those uh, and uh, address those challenges. Hmm. And hmm. I would add to that that behavioral science is important because it provides a number of tools in terms of uh, theoretical models which uh, help us to uh, understand uh, behavior in a more systematic way and, and a more systemic way. Mm. It provides also uh, methodologies to uh, change behavior and analytical tools. So it's, uh, it, it provides a comprehensive framework so that behavior change is designed and implemented in a more evidence-based uh, systematic way and avoid problems such as uh, trying to change behavior on the basis of uh, what a person might think works on what might uh, what the person might think is um, is the right way to change others behaviors mm-hmm. so it pr- provides uh, a comprehensive uh, assessment uh, behavioral di- diagnosis uh, uh, tool and uh, and also a tool in terms of uh, changing behavior in ways which is systematic and replicable Mm, in this, I was thinking about like uh, an introduction of a book that I read like a few um, a few months ago. That was uh, about the wizard and the prophet, and uh, the way in which uh, uh, global challenges are approached. Now, the wizard is the one that you know you mentioned, like for example, recycling. The wizard provides a lot of uh, new technologies to to solve that problem, whereas the prophet try to make uh, a changes in uh, the behavior of the population of course i think that uh, addressing behavioral change is important for uh, for achieving and solving the, the problem that we have but what is the 
What are the limits, in your opinion, of the challenges of applying research and what research show into like practice and actually changing the, the behavior of, uh, of a group of, of people? What, are, what do you find like most challenging in this area? Because research can tell us something, and, but when we actually want to change the practice of a group of population, how can we do that? And what are, what are the challenges that you think are in place? I mean, one obvious one is that uh, we can get people to change behavior in the short term, but it's very hard to uh, help people sustain that behavior change for life. Um, and obviously, if, the, if we're trying to change behavior as, as part of, a, for example, a controlled experiment in a study, um, that's very different conditions to when you then have people going out into their, their daily lives, uh, their own contexts. Um, people face different challenges in terms of sustaining that behavior, their external, external factors that also impact their behavior. So I would say that's a, that's a main one, you know. And challenge of uh, helping people yeah, sustain or maintain that behavior. Yeah, also it's important to get uh, policy makers and, st- and important stakeholders on board because it's difficult to uh, achieve this sustained behavior change without these individuals uh, on board. And so getting them on board and uh, is, is, is another challenge. Um, I, uh, so I will also add that uh, often uh, certain behaviors come uh, contradict uh, commercial interests. For instance, uh, uh, eating less uh, red meat is uh, obviously has implications for certain industries. Uh, drinking less alcohol hmm. or no hmm. alcohol at all. Um, so, the, so there are uh, these challenges as well. I saw actually an interesting uh, documentary. I forgot what it was called. It was an American one, uh, which which challenged uh, this idea about messages from uh, from the government, even who are very much lobbied by by the big uh, big uh, organizations and big industry there. And they were saying that one of the reasons why, for example, the, the, the message in terms of uh, meat consumption is not eat less meat, but it's eat less saturated fat, mm. which is very much covering and confusing and diluting the message of actually it would be helpful for people's health and for climate. I think it was in the context of climate to reduce meat, but because they lobby it so strongly by these very... Mm. Um, very very rich corporate corporations who have an interest in in people keeping buying meat. Even government government are sending out guidelines uh, that don't necessarily directly address that. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting. And uh, you mentioned you mentioned alcohol, and we, we know that drinking alcohol is uh, is detrimental for our health. But I think it was a few months ago that it was this it was proposed at the European Commission to. In, to to put in place a law to put on the alcohol bottles like the the same images that are used for cigarettes and uh, and it didn't go through the law but I think Ireland it might be for probably the only the, the first country to apply this law and yeah it it's interesting how like policy making stakeholders sometimes don't don't support some uh, some research funding mm. um, but uh, I want to say you have collaborated and you've done like a lot of research like and you mentioned like policymaker and uh, other other uh, 
collaborator from different countries and different sectors. What, what, can you give us some example of um, previous uh, uh, project funded uh, that aim to, to, to study or to do research on behavioral science? Something that you have, have done in the past with maybe even uh, like policy, policymaker? Um, I can give some examples of some, some work we did in Australia where we um, worked with uh, people who were very physically inactive and uh, wanted to increase their, improve their health through increased levels of physical activity and trying to identify ways that would be feasible uh, for them to do and to stay in the longer term. So we did some project uh, One with older people in, in retirement, uh, what they call retirement villages in Australia, um, and, um, and also one in the workplace. And what the, the kind of concept was that we tried to train uh, peer leaders. So these are non-experts who engage, have attention to engage in the behavior that we'd like the, the participants to actually do, and they can... And they, good thing about these kind of peer leaders is that they can uh, they can relate to these people and uh, they get a sense of kind of self-efficacy and self-confidence that they can actually do this themselves and then we train these peer leaders in uh, in behavioral science and motivational theory in terms of how they communicate with the, the participants and then they were trained to then go on. it was walking we focused on because walking is uh, is the preferred activity uh, amongst uh, often amongst physically inactive people um, and it has the desired health benefits if you can get them to sustain it and then we tried to do a um, make a program where we used uh, all kinds of uh, different technologies we also developed apps uh, we developed materials training materials that were focused on behavioral science but communicated in ways that the kind of lay public would understand Um, and then with a view to uh, uh, designing the program in a way where uh, they could then sustain the behavior over time by withdrawing that sort of peer support over time very gradually and also using what we call behavior change techniques, which are evidence-based, which uh, hadn't been used to the same extent in, in other projects Oh, in, in, in apps that you can find kind of uh, commercial as well. Yeah, I can also give one example uh, focusing on a very different behavior. Um, the use of uh, image and performance enhancing drugs in sport and exercise. Mm. Uh, so this is an area I've done uh, quite a bit of work and uh, we developed and delivered an intervention in uh, three countries, uh, Australia, Greece, and uh, the UK, and the aim of the project was to take standard anti-doping education uh, for coaches and uh, deliver it in ways that uh, will also try to enhance uh, motivation, uh, right, uh, the right types of motivation within the sport clubs because uh, within the right types of motivation, the right motivational atmosphere, athletes will be less tempted to resort to use these uh, drugs. And uh, we delivered this intervention in association with, uh, obviously, coaches, uh, sport clubs, um, sport federations, and the national anti-doping organizations. 
I just want to go back to the thing you said before because I thought it was so interesting with these uh, pictures on the cigarette packages or maybe, like you said, maybe they'll do it on alcohol as well because I think it's something we can all relate to because we see it every day and we, at least in Denmark we have it. So based on your like uh, expertise, is this like an effective way of changing behavior? And if it's not, like, what would be a better way? Or, or do you think this is the right way to change people's behavior? It's kind of, uh, I guess I would describe it as, as kind of a scare tactic. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the assumption is that by scaring people, they're going to change their behavior. But there's no evidence that actually it works in, in the longer term. And people have to actually internalize the importance of reducing rather than being pressured Uh, so it's a pressure in a sense that comes from 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 the outside, and unless you can actually internalize it and make it relevant to yourself and al- align it with your own values, it's unlikely to be uh, successful in the long term. Hmm. Yeah, and there's also research uh, showing that smokers become uh, habituated to yeah. these images, and they don't really pay that much attention. Actually, in terms of uh, trying to change behavior at a more systemic uh, uh, policy level. There was there's a good example of New Zealand. The previous government, Labour government, had put in place a measure that will eventually face out the ability of young people to buy tobacco. Mm. Uh, but unfortunately, the new government uh, decided that they didn't want to proceed down that road. So that would have been a very good intervention at the government level, changing policy, making the purchase of tobacco by young people illegal. And yeah, it's a, yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, I mean, I guess you know we we definitely recognize uh, that uh, the, the the systemic level and uh, the influence of corporations, government, and you know, is extremely important, and it makes the behavioral changes easier if mm. if the right policies and the structures are in place. Um, but on its own, on their own, they're not enough as well. You know, you, you, people still need to be able to internalize the behavior in order to uh, to make it, uh, to maintain it and sustain it over time. So it's kind of a a marriage of uh, we need to have the right structure in place, but we also need to help people, uh, in a sense, empower themselves to mm. to actually want to change. And we saw that very clearly during COVID with uh, vaccination and uh, various measures such as distancing, uh, we saw a huge variation in how much people comply with these behaviors and the messages from the government. And there was some research showing that uh, the language used by different governments to communicate these messages had an effect on uh, whether people were more motivated to comply, uh, for example, with distancing or um, uh, of, uh, taking va- of being vaccinated. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So the um, the, the idea then to uh, make uh, some message internalized, uh, and it's really interesting and powerful, and probably like uh, it, it has also it, it has also uh, an educational point of view that as to to be considered or to take into account when uh, any kind of behavioral uh, uh, change has to happen. And, but it's hard sometimes to to put that educational message is just to communicate thing in an educational way. So say, for example, the cigarettes and, uh, and the images. And, um, and uh, often we know that education by itself is not sufficient. Okay. Yeah. It's the easy way, I guess, to try to change behavior, but it's not sufficient. I, I guess uh, not many people these days, particularly in the Western world, are unaware of the fact that they need to be physically active, but yet levels of physical inactivity mm. are going up. Yeah, mm. yeah that's true. <laughs> I, 
I'm interested to hear what would be like your dream project or dream collaboration if you don't have to consider like the normal kind of constraints of uh, <laughs> money financial or financial <laughs> constraints or, or even what is possible. But if you could just like design your project however you would like it, what would it be? For me, it would be uh, having someone from the government mm-hmm. uh, come to us and say that we think this particular behavior is very important and we, we're happy to change the legislation to make this behavior easier or more difficult depending on the nature of the behavior? And can you help us to uh, develop and, uh, some messages or uh, other initiatives uh, so that uh, people uh, will be more motivated to engage or not engage in that behavior? Because as Cecilia said, uh, we also need to intervene and not just by changing policy, but we need to intervene by changing uh, how people think, uh, feel, and uh, behave. Uh, so that would be my dream. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. And uh, I guess uh, personally also for me, you know, looking at the kind of intersection, a project that looks at both health, climate change, and potentially other kind of global challenges that sort of fit into the same project because we know that health and climate change are actually very strongly related for mm. example and several of the other global challenges also related to that so something big yeah where where the government come to you and uh, uh, need you to design a, a big project that can be implemented at a large scale yeah. so would you say that this is something that you haven't achieved yet in your brilliant career so this is something that you want to mm. achieve would be like a collaboration with some government uh, agency or Yes, mm. okay. and who are very broad-minded about uh, yeah. also giving some, uh, from freedom to the researcher, of course, uh, yeah. in terms of how this should be designed. I think that's important too. So you would have complete freedom in designing everything? To some extent. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can't have complete freedom, but uh, as much as possible, yeah. And do you think there is, uh, between governments and research bodies there, or research institutions, there is this... Uh, lack of communication? Do you think that uh, government uh, listen to research or or not? Maybe yes, it, it would be easy probably in uh, like, uh, for example, vaccine or in that area. And of course, government listen to research. But what about other research area that are less uh, uh, straightforward? Do you think that government are willing to listen to research or... I guess it depends uh, which governments you talk to. Which gov- <laughs> yeah, so I gave you the example of New Zealand, right? It was a change yeah. of government, it was a change of policy. Um, so there was also some evidence showing that uh, during COVID, the behavioral scientists who advised the UK government offered quite a few suggestions. And uh, a few, uh, quite a few of them actually were not taken up by the government. Mm. So they were they, the scientists uh, who advised the government felt very, very frustrated about that. Um, so pre- pretty much depends. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, I mean there are obviously examples of um, governments um, listening to scientists. So, for instance, uh, for those of you who are interested in the area of nudging. Uh, there are people in the U.S. who advise the Obama government uh, and maybe uh, the Clinton administration, I'm not sure, in terms of uh, how to uh, use nudges to encourage people to save more for retirement. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, unfortunately, an example I gave earlier about the corporations influencing government, unfortunately, sometimes the industry voices in some countries at least uh, seem to play a more prominent role than, than, than research, which is pretty uh, pretty scary. Mm. But, uh, of mm. course, that's not the same across the world. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, what are... What does Driven aim to achieve in the next future, like uh, in the next five years, ten years? What is, uh, except, uh, well, apart from the collaboration with government, that I hope uh, can happen soon, <laughs> but apart that, what, what is, uh, what, what does Driven want to achieve in the future? This is like a terrible question that always people are asked at the interviews, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What do you see yourself yeah, in five right. years? Yeah, that's right. It did remind me. I started sweating a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, if we want to talk about the ideal scenario, the ideal scenario would be that Driven will be a reference point for behavioral science research nationally and uh, in, the Scandin in Scandinavia and it would be... Um, a research center that uh, policy makers, uh, community stakeholders, and researchers uh, will um, contact to design and deliver projects that uh, have both academic but also societal uh, impact. Uh, so, yes, that would be uh, yeah. my, my dream, I guess, for Driven to become a reference point for behavioral science research in the area. Yeah. Yeah, I think also, uh, uh, obviously, there are some financial uh, considerations as well, sort of to keep it going, to help it grow, so that we can uh, uh, have a, a larger pool of people and, uh, and, and, and keep good people within the center who we can uh, collaborate with on the, on the longer term as well and uh, establish even more collaborations ac across different kind of agents, uh, other academics, but also a very variety of uh, organizations that we can uh, set up these sort of longer-term collaborations. Mm. And also establish the trust of the government in terms of uh, giving a large pool of money for behavioral science research. And uh, I see some examples this year in the UK where uh, there have been new doctoral training networks on behavioral science being established and also behavioral science consortia that bring together behavioral science groups across different UK universities and industry and uh, national governments in different parts of the UK. So, And all these initiatives are supported by uh, very, very generous funding from the UK Economic and Social Research Council. And uh, it would be an ideal situation if that uh, also became possible in Denmark. Mm. And does Driven or how does Driven aim to make like a societal impact? I guess through some of the projects that we 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 do, um, which are very geared towards also future implementation. So so we, that's something we plan into the project. Um, we think we can uh, the kind of projects that we do can actually have a, a societal impact. Um, in the longer term, um, through uh, making implementation strategies early on in terms of the projects, um, getting stakeholders involved, could be government, could be different levels of government, could be organizations, um, 
that try to change uh, conditions for whatever population it is we're focusing on, and we work with lots of different types of populations. So essentially, it's, and it's quite sort of uh, applied in the sense that there are many um, strategies that, uh, that we test as part of these uh, programs, and we kind of test vigorously, and then um, with a view to being implemented in the, uh, at, uh, at the broader level later on with the help of these uh, stakeholders that can communicate results of our research and, and help implement it in their own, uh, in their own uh, areas. Mm. Mm. That's the community impact. Uh, of course, there's also the academic impact. And uh, we try to achieve that we, uh, by trying to publish our research um, in uh, high-quality journals and uh, presenting our work in uh, international conferences and uh, I guess uh, getting people to cite our work mm-hmm. as uh, hopefully saying good things about our work <laughs> would be another example of uh, academic impact. Yeah. And I think another sort of pillar of, of driven, apart from condu- conducting cutting-edge research, um, another one is, um, is also making science, behavioral science accessible and useful to the public. So I think that's another also societal impact by by educating the public about behavioral science essentially which mm. uh, i guess this podcast can also maybe help with that yeah you you mentioned earlier like the consultancy services so that that is not to be intended as just for also government or an organization but also like for for a group of people uh, that that might want to change their behavior towards something different so yeah, it's... Uh... Yes, exactly. And we actually have... Uh, uh, I have received quite a lot of invitations to deliver talks around Denmark um, and actually also Scandinavia to uh, to talk to kind of lay people about uh, behavior science. Um, and it's it seems to be very popular, so there's obviously a, a kind of a need for it. Mm. Yeah. So okay. if anyone is interested, uh, then they can reach out to you. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We always finish with these uh, five little quick fire questions. Um, they're a little bit uh, fun and not... <laughs> it is a way of kind of getting to know you a little bit uh, better mm-hmm. as people as well. Uh, so we're just going to ask them, and of course you can both answer as well. Um, do you want to start, Jim? Yeah, I'll start. <laughs> That's the easiest one for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. It depends. <laughs> <Both>. <laughs> if I had to choose uh, coffee, but I drink both. Right. Cycling or driving? Depends. Yeah. <laughs> on. <laughs> depends how much time I've got. Okay. Um, depends on the weather. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not very Dennis in that respect. I <laughs> like to drive, but I do exercise in other ways. Yeah. <laughs> Getting up early or sleeping in? Sleeping in. Sleeping in. <laughs> there was no hesitation in that. No, that was no. a clear one. <laughs> uh, training or couch potating? <laughs> training. Training. Right. Oh, Procrastinating or rushing to finish it? Oh, that's a difficult one. I think it also depends on the context. Uh, procrastinate if it's something that I know needs to be done but I might not be highly motivated to do rushing to finish it you could argue the same (laughs) (laughs) if it's something quite boring you just want to get it over with (laughs) that's a hard one Uh, 
definitely rushing to finish it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I would agree with that. Yeah. 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 I want to get the job done, and sometimes it drives Cecilia nuts. Yeah, it no. does <laughs> with certain things. It has to be done now. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. <laughs> So well, thank you very much for uh, for joining us today. It was really nice to hear your uh, your work and what you are trying to achieve, and uh, also to learn a little bit b- more about you. Thank you very much thank for you. the very interesting questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you for the invitation. And yeah. we'll put uh, also your contact details in the in the description. So yes. if anyone, if the government is listening and they want to implement <laughs> this, then they know know where to contact you. That would be well, great. It would be ideal to hear from, uh, obviously, besides the government, from uh, other research groups in mm. Denmark. Yeah, uh, who are interested in behavior science to discuss possibilities for collaboration, and also with uh, different community groups. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll make sure to sure. Yeah. we'll make sure to spread the word. Yeah, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> sounds good. Thank you very Thank much. You very Thank, much. You. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. It was fun. A new episode will be released on the first of every month. Make sure you subscribe to the Driven Lab on your favorite platform. And once you're there, we would really appreciate if you leave us a review. And you can also follow us on X, LinkedIn, or Instagram, Driven underscore SDU. So join us on this journey as we explore the potential of understanding and influencing human behavior for a brighter future.